Welcome to the Winning in Real Estate podcast with your host and CEO of Align Ventures, Arnold Olszewski. Join us as we speak with real estate pros about their experiences and learn the fundamentals of passive real estate investing. Together, we will unlock the secrets of achieving financial freedom by discussing proven strategies and building passive income through investing in real estate. Here's your host, Arnold Olszewski. Today, we have Ziona McIntyre on our show. Ziona is a real estate agent and investment consultant at eXp Realty, where she specializes in educating investors on how to invest in medium-term rentals, or as some of us may know it, the Airbnb rental model. Ziona herself owns homes across Colorado, Missouri, Florida, Georgia, and Washington that she herself manages as Airbnb rentals and has a wealth of experience on how to make these investments successful. Ziona, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you. I am excited to be here. <laughs> Great. Well, we're glad to have you. If you could share your background and just a little bit about your journey on how you got to where you are today in real estate. Yeah, it's been a long journey. I've been in real estate investing now for 11 years. I got started back in 2012 when people did not know about Airbnb. A lot of people didn't know that it was around back then. The way that I got started is what people call arbitrage these days. Basically, I was renting a two-bedroom house and I had a roommate move out and I decided that I would try to Airbnb her room and see if that was good. And if it wasn't, then I would just go get another roommate. And it turned out to be so good that I was renting her room and then my room and then I had to get another place. And so I kind of built from there into co-hosting for other people. I have co-hosted five countries and over 60 units. And now I just do my own because managing sucks. <laughs> but we have to manage our own properties, right? So we just keep it going. But yeah, happy to go into any and all of that. But I recently, maybe in the last three years, went from short-term rentals to more the mid or medium-term rental and then wrote a book about it last year. So, Oh, that's fantastic. What's, what's, what's the name of the book? The book is called 30 Days Stay, and it is published by Bigger Pockets. And I co-authored that with Sarah Weaver. Fantastic. We'll make sure to put all that information into our show notes. So if anybody's interested in checking it out later, it'll be right there and convenient for our listeners to access. So right. I'll go ahead and transition into some of the high-level questions. You know, for those people that may not know, how would you describe it? 30,000 feet up, really high-level overview. How do medium-term rentals work in the real estate space? Yeah, so there's a short-term rental, which is usually about three or four, four nights, right? And there's a mid-term or medium-term rental, which is 30 nights or more, and they have to be furnished. And then there's long-term rentals that are unfurnished, and they're about a year. And then the tenants that we get in this mid-term space, a lot of times people are like, who's even renting those? But we have a lot of traveling nurses. Sometimes there's construction companies, film crews, just digital nomads. That's become a really big thing. And so there are lots of tenants in that space. And it can be a lot more cash flow than a long-term rental, which usually are really hard to find cash flowing ones these days. So it, it can be a great little sweet spot for people. And you mentioned there's short-term rentals, which you, you said, I believe it's around three to four night range. And the medium term is about 30 days, maybe 60 days. 
What would you say the differences are in those two business models? What would you say are some of the pros and cons versus doing, you know, the short term stuff versus the medium term 30 day stays plus? Yeah. So the midterm or medium term, it is like a 90 day average. And the reason for that is that traveling nurses get 90 day assignments. So three months. And then often they'll extend if they like your place. So you may have six months for one tenant, which is just so easy. And that's the difference between short term and midterm is that it's got so much more ease when you don't have people checking in and out in, you know, three days or five days. And that means there's less cleaning. So there's less expenses. There's less supplies that you have to provide for people because you may get them started, but you're not going to do every roll of toilet paper they ever use. So there's a lot of benefits to it. Sure. And I'm assuming an individual would be able to scale midterm rentals faster than short-term rentals because it seems that short-term rentals have a lot more legwork when you have somebody checking in and out and you got to manage the guests and and so on. Would you say that assumption yeah. is accurate? Yeah. And I actually see people that usually do a lot of scale. So multifamily investors are moving into the midterm space too. So you might have an apartment complex with eight or 10 doors and decide, hey, let me make a couple of these furnished and then have a couple of them be long terms that are like holding down that consistent income. So it's just a way for them to add more to their portfolio. Absolutely. Uh, I actually implement some of that in my own commercial real estate holdings where we have a couple of units that are vacant and we'll do some Airbnb. And it's becoming very popular for people in multifamily, especially. Another thing that comes to mind, if you were to compare medium term rental space, and there's so many different niches in real estate, there's office, there's multifamily, so, so many various asset classes and so many different various ways to do them. What would you say are the benefits of medium-term rentals over some of these other niches within real estate? Why would somebody want to invest into this specific avenue versus something else? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I try to get people to invest in ones where you can do hybrid. And what I mean by hybrid is that it's still legal to short-term rent. And if you're doing that in your first year, then you qualify for cost segregation without as much of having to like material participation in the cost segregation. So just to kind of explain that for people that are not familiar with it, when you're getting a big tax deduction, if you do a cost segregation study with a short-term rental, there's a loophole where you don't have to be as involved in your property as if it was a long-term or a mid-term. And so that first year, you can make a ton of money back, especially if you have a W-2. And so that's a real nice benefit. And then afterward, you can do midterm and then have it be a lot easier to manage. So that is one of the things that's great. Now, I've heard about the model before and some of that information that you just provided about the cost segregation loophole. I've never actually heard that. And that's pretty unique. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so I think also people like them because if you have a furnished unit, you can use it. So if you buy a furnished unit in a town where your family lives or in a vacation area where you like to go. So it doesn't have to be a short-term rental, which is kind of like a part-time job. It can be a mid-term rental as well. And then you still just use it and you can still qualify for second home loans, which is only 10% down. So there's a lot of advantages. What would you say on the contrary are some of the challenges that you see people running into when they start investing in this space? Maybe the top two that are kind of a reoccurring theme? 
I don't think there's very many managers in this space yet. So if you're like, oh, I really want to do midterm, but I don't want to manage it, it's going to be maybe a challenge to find somebody good. You might find a short-term rental operator, but they may not do or know as much about the midterm space. It's different websites. It's kind of just a different whole realm. So that might be a challenge. And then the second thing is just getting into furnished rentals in general requires furnishing and it just requires a little more work. It's a little more hospitality than if you were just doing long-term. And so if somebody's really comfortable in long-term and that portfolio is paying for their life, like don't go mess that up. And don't go furnish and like change your life. But if you only have a couple of units and you need to squeeze all those dollars out so you can leave your job, yeah, do it. Because it's, it's awesome. One thing that you mentioned about the managers, which caught my attention, it seems that the managers are such a critical element to making this more of a passive investment versus an active one. And since you're the expert in, in this asset class, maybe you could shed some light on if I'm an investor and I, I want to participate, how active do I need to be? Truly, how much time would I need to invest and which parts of the process can I outsource and and still sleep good at night? Yeah, well, so that would be a different answer if it's coming from your CPA. With a short-term rental, you have to participate 100 hours a year if you want all the tax deductions. For a long-term rental, which a mid-term rental is considered, you'd have to participate 500 hours, which is a lot. That's like two hours a day. So if you have a manager, you may not qualify. So those are some things to keep in mind. But Outside of that, it's not that much work. So one thing that people end up doing is that they immediately go, oh, I want a manager. I don't want to be involved and end up paying, you know, 15 to 40 percent, depending on what manager and what market and all that stuff. But what I like to remind people is you can get an assistant. You can get a VA for, you know, three to five dollars an hour that's overseas that helps you do just a couple hours a day. Sure. When it comes to managers, what are some good questions that people can ask to make sure that, you know, they underwrite the company properly and and that they're entrusting the right people with their assets? Like, what are some of the things that you'd be looking at spot checking questions might be asking or or anything else along those lines? Yeah. So if someone owns and operates midterm rentals, that would be really important if that's the strategy you're going for. So if you're looking for somebody who's doing short-term rentals, like what experience do they have already? Then what are they going to do for you? So with midterm rentals, you can just throw that on Airbnb and a website called Furnish Finder. But there's a lot more websites than that. And so we have our properties in about eight places. And are they willing to do that? Is that something they're already doing? Had they built out relationships with housing specialists? And by housing specialists, that could be agencies that place these types of tenants, which could be for nurses, construction companies. It could also be insurance companies that are placing people that are displaced from flood or fire or anything like that. So those are kind of the deeper levels. And if someone is just putting you on Airbnb, I maybe would pay them less. Just one platform. You might pay a little less. And managers is is one way to go. And I'm, I'm assuming that managers would be more of a passive route, considering you find the right competent manager to, to manage the asset. What is the other option for individuals? I know you were mentioning hiring a VA, an assistant, possibly overseas. 
and kind of bringing that in-house, it seems like a little bit. Would you say that's the second option to running this business model? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be so much cheaper if you do it in-house. So the cool thing about a VA is you can usually contract them for very little, like maybe, you know, five or 10 hours a week. And then maybe they can do other things for you if you don't have enough properties. So they can do some emails or something like that. As you scale up, yeah, maybe you get someone more full-time or you get someone local if you, if you prefer that. But just know that the U.S. rates are going to be a lot higher. But definitely it's cheaper than paying 25%, which is very standard in the industry for managers. 25% seems like a, like a big chunk. So let's assume on a model where somebody does go the manager route and decides to give 25%, I'm assuming off the top line, off the gross revenue, or is that off the net yeah. revenue? Off the top no, line? No, it'd be off the gross. Let's say somebody finds a manager. What would be considered good returns on an investment like this? I, I know obviously that's going to vary from property to property, but what, what would be a bare minimum target that you and your team would look for? Yeah, so I like to see a 15% cash and cash return. Sometimes you can do better. Some markets is pretty hard to find these days, but that's what I like to see. And my reasoning behind that is an 8% return is what you can get over time in the stock market. So if you put just money in an index fund, set it and forget it over the years, it goes up and down, but it averages eight. That's what they say anyway. And so if I'm looking for a long-term rental, I usually want 10. And it's just because now I'm involved in something. Even if I have a manager, I want to be making that 10 off the top lot. And so with a midterm, it's a little more work. So I want 15. It makes a tremendous amount of sense. And myself personally, every time I look at an investment, I ask the same set of questions. What's the upside potential here? And how much of my time and effort is it going to take? If I'm putting money into bonds where I'm getting 3% and I never have to think about it, just when I have to cash it out and do it again, I'm okay with less returns versus somewhere where it's going to require a little bit more legwork. So it makes a lot of sense. To lead to my next question, I'd like to know a little bit about how people can begin to underwrite opportunities. And meaning, whatever real estate market, there's an asset class, I should say. There's questions that you should ask to make sure you're getting yourself into the right investment, things you should look for. For people looking at this space, what kind of questions should they be asking about a property when they're doing their due diligence to see if it could deliver the returns that they want it to? Yeah. So I think it always starts with the ideal tenant. So you, there's kind of like a, a fork in the road with midterm. You can either have a traveling nurse tenant, which is very common. People like to go for that. And if you are going that route, then you want a smaller unit. You want a one or two bedroom. Multifamily works great. Condos work great. If you're thinking that you want to try to go more for the insurance claim side, there's a lot more upside, a lot more money to be made in that space but you need a single family home and it has to be three bedrooms or more. And the reason is that you're you're attracting more families and there's less competition the larger your home is. So you want ideally four or five bedrooms or more if you can get it. So that's kind of where it would start first. And then if you're targeting nurses, I like to be within five miles of two hospitals. And that's just giving you within that range of maybe a 20 minute drive. They usually don't want to commute more than that. So it seems like there's two sub niches in this market. One is just vacation group family that's looking for a three, four, five bedroom. And another, 
where it's in specific nurses that have, I believe you mentioned it was a 90 day, 90 day assignment. Is that the case? Yeah. And just in general with the smaller units, like you may attract digital nomads as well, but they're going to want to be in a different area. They want to be more urban and they want to be like maybe walking distance to things or in a cool part of town or just easy access to maybe public transportation. If you're going for the larger homes, you can be much more suburban because it's going to be families. So for them, it's more about school district and, and space. So definitely got to know your demographic. You got to know your target, what you're going for before you start looking at properties. And you have the nurses as a, as a niche that you can focus on, it seems like. How saturated would you say that is right now? Is there a lot of competition trying to service that particular area? Or would you say this is something that's relatively new? It's still new and it's still growing a lot, but it is getting more popular, especially since 2021 was really the time of like the short-term rental boom. And then a lot of people realized after that that they weren't making the returns that they expected. So it was kind of after COVID, a lot of travel. And so a lot of those people have pivoted to doing more midterm. So you are seeing more inventory come. But in general, there was just not enough for all the demand that was there. So it's really just starting to catch up. And it depends on your market specifically. So I think one thing that's really important to check, like if someone is between maybe three markets and they're just not sure, is you can go on Furnished Finder, which is primarily for nurses. And on there, you can get an idea of, based on the pricing of homes around you, what are they renting for? Because what I've found is that it's not all the same. Some areas, the house is 200000 and you can get, you know, $2,000 per month per side, and it's a duplex. And in other places, it's like 300000 and you can only get 3000 a month, and it's, it maybe just doesn't make the same amount of sense. So just trying to figure out what's that ratio, and is it going to be what you need? Because different markets will be different. I see. And in terms of any disruptors that you see potentially happening in the space, because it, it seems that people are heavily relying on the platforms, Airbnb and other similar platforms. Is there any concern of any of their policies changing or the technology changing in a way where it might be harder for people to operate on these platforms that somebody should take into consideration? Well, Airbnb is not our number one anymore. If you're in this midterm space, there's a lot of other sites. So it's not that you have to be so worried about that. But Airbnb has seen a huge uptick in the longer stays. So they said that 28% of their bookings that are coming in in the last year were 30 days or more. So there's just a lot of people traveling that way. And those bookings are coming through Airbnb, but Airbnb also has a lot of fees. And so people often will go to different sites like Furnish Finder that doesn't charge a fee. And they try to get around that because it becomes a big expense when you're paying by the month. That makes a lot of sense. In terms of opportunities with today's current real estate environment, obviously a lot of markets have have softened in terms of purchase price because of the increase in interest rates. How would you say that has affected the overall opportunity landscape in the medium-term rental? Are you seeing better return possibilities or is it just about the same? I think it's tricky right now with the fact that home prices have stayed high and that interest rates are really high. 
But the opportunity lies in the fact that there are just less people in the market. It seems like people are waiting for the interest rates to go down. And there's a lot of talk that they will. Some have said into the fours, and we may still be a year or two out. Nobody really knows. But if it goes down to the fours, all of the pricing will go up again. It's just kind of a little teeter-totter, right? Uh, Seesaw. And so you just want to keep investing. I I look at it like dollar cost averaging. Some days you're going to buy on the low, sometimes on the mid, sometimes on the high. But you're going to continue investing. And over time, you're getting the principal pay down and you're getting the appreciation and all those things that just happen over time in real estate. So buy now when you have less competition. Nobody's doing over asking or very few are. And then refinance later. So I think that's where the opportunity lies. Yeah, it, it's hard to market time. There's it's almost no. actually impossible. Right. And dollar cost averaging yeah. is is sound advice. We have a simple philosophy for cash flows and you have a significant cushion and you're making money day one, then all appreciation and everything else is going to be upside. And those are the opportunities that we love, as opposed to recently in the industry, a lot of people were buying properties and just betting on appreciation, at least in in the commercial real estate space where there was no cash flow, there was actually negative cash flow in some deals. Everybody was just hoping for appreciation and when rates went up, the opposite happened. So it seems like it's a, yeah, it's a little it, scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very scary. It seems like a lot of people nowadays are looking for that stability with cash flow, which could be a very attractive model for people that don't want to take those type of bets on appreciation by exploring this model. Yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunity in the Midwestern markets where the pricing is still pretty low. You can find a lot of two to four unit, like small multifamily properties and then furnish them and do them for nurses. So yeah, if anybody needs help finding a market, you can always reach out. And you mentioned 11 years in this space. How would you say the industry has changed from when you first got into it as opposed to present day? Yeah, the short-term rental industry changed so much. It felt like every year it was like a new thing. And so at the beginning, and it's it's kind of funny because it's like how I grew up too. But when I started, I was 26 and I didn't have a lot of money and I was in college. So the furnishings that I had and, you know, I didn't have professional photos. It was just like very basic. And nowadays to compete on... Airbnb, you need to have professionally designed spaces that have a theme. People are putting murals. They have all kinds of amenities in their properties. So it's harder to compete in that space. And it's one of the things that we like about midterm is that it's not as competitive. There's still a lot of operators that have just been offering their basement that, you know, is pretty sparsely furnished. So there is an opportunity to come in there operate as a professional and be one of the top, you know, 1%. So I, I like that. But yeah, it's it's really changed. There's so much software and optimization and competition out there. And is there any tips that you could give to people on how they could separate themselves from the competition? The things that they can do to make their property stand out? Yeah, I mean, it's always about presentation. So professional photos, having a well-designed space, having a theme, like really leaning into something. I find that most people live in pretty eclectic spaces. 
So they, you know, get things from Facebook Marketplace and it's kind of all pieced together. But if your house is mid-century modern or you like that style, try to get everything in your home to be that same style. So it feels very cohesive. Because even if it's not, you know, a cowboy chic place, you don't need to like really get crazy with the theme, but it just feels better in the fixtures and people are more drawn to it. So it that is really a big, big part. And, and it's something that we're doing in all of our units is like really updating the design. I love that. I actually just came to mind. I remember I was looking for an Airbnb in Disneyland for the family and they had a lot of units that were actually decorated with Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and a lot of the Disney characters, yeah. which we found those properties to be really attractive, especially especially when you have children. But it seems like uh-huh. you could apply that anywhere, right? If you if you have something in, in the mountains and it's a ski area, you could kind of design that. And it, it seems like you could have a lot of fun doing it, designing and thinking how to put it together. And it seems like it could be quite a creative project as well from the way you're describing it. Yeah, Disney is where you see the most themes, period. So if people are just like wanting to go look at some listings for fun, go look in Orlando because it's it's really cool what people have done. Yeah. Now that you're mentioning it, I'm kind of piecing together some of the themes that I saw when I was looking for stuff in the mountains and Disneyland, like I said. So, you know, I think the way this information has just been super helpful. And just to summarize, on a high level, as an investor, some of my takeaways are this is a project that has very good return potential in terms of cash on cash and obviously appreciation depending on how the real estate markets do. But from a cash on cash perspective, there's very few asset classes that can compare to that, even in real estate. You know, in multifamily, for example, people are targeting six, 7% cash on cash. This seems to be more than double that, you know, and however, there's a give and take where you got to probably do a little bit more, right? And that depends if you want to go short term or medium term. And in terms of bringing in a manager or bringing a VA, that's just some, it, it seems like that would be a personal decision somebody would need to make based on how much they want to participate in in hiring a person and and things of that nature. But it seems like that the returns are what they should be for the amount of effort somebody could put in. And they could still relatively be somewhat passive. I also love the cost segregation bit that you mentioned. Is there anything that you feel that I've missed that that you could add to for, for listeners to walk away with today? I would recommend getting our book if you're interested in this strategy. And the reason being is that we wanted to make it very, as if you didn't know anything about real estate, you can pick up the book and it would be from start to finish and you can purchase property at the end of it. So it's it's really thorough, but it also has a lot of case studies and we're both female authors and we did mostly women case studies. So it is pretty fun in that regard. So yeah, I would say that's a good a good place to start because a lot of times people just get into analysis paralysis and they need a starting point. I'd like to transition into some of our closing questions. The first one being, uh, Ziona, for you, what would you say is the number one principle or, or rule that you feel is most important to be successful in life and business? For me, it's trying to enjoy every day and not holding it out until 
I'll be happy when I have a million dollars or when I have a hundred units because we never know how much time we have. And so I think that a lot of us have the goal of financial freedom and it's how do we take our freedoms in each day? How do we build out enough time? How do we have practices that are meaningful to us or relationships that are important and make space for those? I love that. I could relate. I remember my journey. I always used to say, when I get there, then I'll have fun, then I'll be happy. And probably took a couple of rounds of doing that to realize all the fun is in the journey itself. So I could relate to that advice. If there was one takeaway that you want listeners to walk away with today, what would that be? The wealth in real estate is built over time. I just think that's a really important thing because a lot of times people are so focused on cash flow or trying to quit a job or make something happen, get rich quick scheme. It just doesn't necessarily work that way, but there can be incredible years like the years of COVID for real estate were mind blowing. You know, all of your houses could go up a hundred grand in one year. So you never know how that's going to happen. And it's just better to start today or if you've got somebody in your life who's fresh out of college, get them into a property that they can house hack. So it's really about time in real estate. How can our listeners get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, my website is ziannamcintyre.com and Instagram is the best place. So add Ziana McIntyre. Great. Well, once again, I want to thank you for coming on to the show. I found it very insightful. I think you have a great way of being able to deliver the information in such a digestible way. And I was able to learn things that I didn't know before about this model. So once again, thank you. And it was a pleasure having you today. Thank you for joining. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review, share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it, and also follow and subscribe. One last thing. If you'd like to use us as a resource for anything real estate related, whether it's a second opinion on an opportunity you're analyzing or looking to explore new opportunities, we're here to help. Whether you do business with us or not, our company philosophy is to deliver as much value as possible and help people make better financial decisions. Book a strategy call with us today by visiting investav.com forward slash contact. We will discuss your investing goals, our investment opportunities, and share valuable insights as to what we see in the market today. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action.